This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, know that I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode number 40 of the Solve for Why vlogcast. We are in for a spicy one today. I just got done streaming for the last five hours. So, uh, you know what, Chin? This one's all yours, buddy. Take it away. <laughs> oh, shit. Is that a pounder? No, nah, it's just it's just iced tea, man. Relax. <laughs> what, 32 ounces? <laughs> These are these are the classics in Jersey, bro. Oh, uh, the old Arnold Palmer, half tea, yeah, half lemonade. Classic. Yep. These are a dollar. This is the only thing left that's a dollar. Inflation's through the roof, but they keep these a dollar. Yeah, I remember Arizona iced teas being the uh, the popular ones when I was in high school, the cafeteria. Yeah. Then at some point we switched to four locos, and then <laughs> the world was never the same. That's true. That. People trying to get lit. Yeah, I was watching your stream. It was it was weird, bro. Yesterday, I didn't really get to watch your stream. Lucky. And then everyone was messaging me this morning about, like, what happened. And I was like, oh, no. It was a bloodbath. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, that sucks. I also watched the, the Phil Helmuth uh, heads-up match. So it was a weird day yesterday. Um, okay. So we have a lot of topics today, actually. Um, we have... Of course, the Phil Hellmuth match. We have Venetian is firing up some stuff. Elon Musk is talking about Dogecoin every day. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't even know where to start, man. Let's start. Let's start with. Uh, let me check my list. So let me see. I'll give you. I'll give you some options, Berkey. You you tell me where you want to start. We can start with Phil Hellmuth. We can start with the win going nine-handed, which is kind of boring. Elon Musk on on Saturday Night Live. Or we could start with your stream from yesterday and today. I mean, I feel like we just get the old Elon bit out of the way. Although I do think that Helmuth Negrano probably deserved the marquee spotlight here. Okay, Let, let's start with let's start with Helmuth Negrano because that's what everybody wants. Everybody, everybody's here for that. You know, a lot of people tuned into your stream and now they're here. We're talking about it in the chat. Okay, listen. So the messages today in my phone, right? They're like, he won five straight. Stop saying he can't play poker. He beat Daniel Cates. He beat Doug Polk. He won five straight. And I'm like, I just wrote back to everyone. Hashtag results. Hashtag results. Hashtag results. And honestly, I'm getting tired of this shit, man. Like, first of all, somebody needs to play him. Olivier Bisquet was losing his shit on Twitter today. Once again, he's like, who's going to, why don't they let a heads up specialist play for real, for real money? And then fucking PokerGo, like, tweeted back at him with the fucking rule book of the Hawaii States. They were, they were <laughs> like, listen, like, we pick whoever we want. <laughs> like, um, but, okay, I do want to talk about it yesterday because all, even my messages today, this morning, were like, oh, you think he's tight? He was three betting with nine five offsuit. And, like, he was going hard as fuck. And I don't know how to describe this to you. Like, you you have to know this player profile because you've played, like, live poker long enough that you know this player profile. He's a tight spaz. Yeah, it's fake action. Like, it's literally everybody that I played this app game with. They're just fake action, man. They just, like, I got shown seven deuce five times in the first hour and a half that I was playing. And not because we went to showdown. Just because, like, you know, I'm always at bottom. 
and they just see bet and win table seven. We're not playing the seven deuce game. There's just yeah. fake action though. You know, it's just like, yeah, they put in a bunch of money neg that's like negative EV pre, but who cares? It's a part of an assumed range that is probably positive EV, right? So it's like when you just add a few random hands into a, a, a profitable range, it doesn't matter because your opponent doesn't know you have those hands. They're just assuming you're logical and that you have reasonable right. hands. And so like, yeah, those hands don't lose as much as they probably should in theory if your opponent has knowledge that you're playing trash. But, yeah. you know, it doesn't prove prowess. <laughs> it doesn't suddenly uh -huh. make you gangster. Like, this is different. He's like in a he's like a worse version than this though, because mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna explain right. He'll lose a pot, right? That's like a medium pot, right? He goes maybe from like 100k to like 70k, right? And the tournament chips they have, right? The next hand he's three betting nine five offsuit. Yeah, yeah, like it's like, bro, how long have you played poker for? Right, right. like like you're three betting the next hand and then he gets away with it because. You know, it's Daniel's just up. following it's the like, chart. Yeah, Daniel's just following yeah. the chart. He's like, oh, I have uh, ten six suited, just can't raise call. Fold. Yeah, and he just mucks it. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Or he'll like peel. This happened a couple times with like deuces. Mm -hmm. He'll peel deuces to the three bet and then just have to fold on the flop because the flop came like jack ten three or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and then like yeah. another time he like peeled with queen jack offsuit and. Against players like that, what I've noticed is that you just have to be stickier on flop. Like, if you just call that first barrel more, they don't they don't have a plan past that, right? Right. Like their plan was they're, they're gonna kind of like hit you with a little jab with this with this shitty three bet, some random fucking spaz pre. And then, yeah. you know, they're just gonna close their eyes and they're gonna swing one more time on the flop. And it's like you call and they're just like I have nine five. Phil's Phil's swing is no joke though. He's throwing. Oh, he's just like bombing. Eight yeah, percent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. It's but like, sometimes you know you just got the deuces and you're like, I'll pay. I, I played a hand today think, that was just obscene. It was obscene. I I raised with uh I three bet with jacks versus the the uh the one showing me seven deuce. We'll just call him that. And he calls out of position. Um, flop comes like. King, King eight X, something like that. It goes check, check. Turn is like a nine where literally no good hands exist, right? And he just overbets. And it's just like, okay, this doesn't really seem to be a thing. Yeah. And then the river is an ace and he three quarters. And I'm just like, what, what, what is going on here? What, what, like, what, is what is this hand? What on earth is this hand? This hand is absolutely never a thing. Like, it went from like him having king queen to like not having. Yeah, king and queen. also just like king queen doesn't do this. Uh, it's yeah. just, and honestly, I think what it, I think what actually happened was I see bet flop small like quarter, and he called and then just led over bet turn. And I'm just like, okay, none of this is a thing. You are just gonna have to fucking show it to me, man. You're gonna have to show it to me. I call. Oh, backdoor hearts came in too. I'm just like, whatever, wow. man. I have the jack of hearts. That's good enough for me. I call. And he's queen of diamonds, ten of spades. Just like, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yep. Okay. Right. It's just like sometimes you just have to be like, I don't have a good theoretical hand here, but you don't have a good theoretical line. So like, whatever, yeah. man. I, I That's I a little bit of up. what actually, a little bit of what Ali Najab was saying is like, Daniel, I, I actually think Daniel played pretty well. Like just watching it with no, like if you have no context of what's happening, 
um, and just like look at the hands being played and like with no no audio, no visual, just like raw. Mm-hmm. You, I think you played pretty well. Now there were some things that I think like maybe could be done a little bit better, but you have to be on the streets because it's clear that Helmuth is tilting, right? And to the point where Daniel's like saying like, "Oh, you're zoom zooming, like you're you have the zoomies, like you know, like just telling him straight up like you're tilting." Yeah, you know? yeah. But it's like he's three betting you the very next hand after losing a pot, like huge, and you have deuces, like. You could just rip. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You you could just rip because it's like he has like 50 bigs and he's three betting you or 60 bigs and he's three betting you. It's like, yeah, it's not calling is better. But when his range includes nine, five offsuit. And maybe not. Maybe like folding is actually better. But yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. Like you just got to reach sometimes. And you got to say like these cusp hands that could go one way or another. Like when your gut instinct says like, man, deuces is probably a fold for this sizing. But I think he's losing it, so I'm going to shift it to a call. That's not the actual order of, of magnitude, right? It's mm-hmm. like, man, I think Deuce is, is is probably a fold in this spot, but he's losing it. So I'm all in, right? Yeah. Because now you get to deny the equity of, like, this whole idea of keeping bluffs in only matters when you have a true top-of-range bluff catcher. It doesn't help when you're at bottom of range with your bluff catchers. Those are the ones that you just want to shift and say, I'm bluffing with this because it's a zero EV hand to begin with. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I agree with that a lot because it was it was really weird to watch. Helmuth won, in my opinion, because, well, obviously the last hand got very lucky. Yeah. But before that, when you're playing heads up and like you're super aggro, like sometimes you're just going to run somebody over. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he ran Daniel over, but like, Every time he got like on the ropes, he just like came out with haymakers, you know. And yeah. it's like Daniel's just like backpedaling at that point. Like it's not really, it, like, there's not much. We saw know? it a little bit in the first match too, where uh, Daniel was of the mind that once he, once he garners a reasonable lead, he can just step on the throat of an otherwise too passive player, and that's mm-hmm. kind of true. Except the problem is with every single incremental increase in the difference between the 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 stacks Helmuth's strategy has to slightly shift more and more and more and we saw this in the first match where daniel had the opportunity to just end him right he just flops Mm. that set and Helmuth had the overpair and he just had the opportunity to or sorry he flopped chip trips and and Helmuth had the overpair and he just had the opportunity to absolutely end him but he's still operating off the construct that Helmuth's game has it altered despite the fact that he's fallen from 100 BBs all the way down to like 12, right? And he's still thinking like, Helmuth is too tight. Helmuth overfolds. Helmuth is this. Helmuth is that, right? So when he has value, he tries to eke out every single tiny little cent rather than just like putting a stranglehold on the match and burying him, right? Leaning into the fact that he gets to overbluff because Helmuth is a little bit too much of these things. And when Helmuth is finally short, he can take a stand because the risk is far less, right? So I think it's kind of the same thing. We saw Daniel jump out to a sizable lead again early in this one, and it becomes a matter of him trying to preserve, right? Where it's like, oh, I've won 30 to his 70. I'm almost a two to one favorite here. I'm just going to chip away at him, and I'm just going to increase this to 150 to 50, and I'm going to increase this to 175 to 25. But it doesn't necessarily work that way because Helmuth is going to go through incremental shifts in his strategy too, and he's going to do spastic things that recover chips versus a conservative opponent. Yeah, I mean, it was, 
it was kind of frustrating because like now people were saying like oh Helmuth does bluff and stuff like that I'm like he doesn't bluff man he just like loses his mind and then and then it works because he's tilting and you know you're saying like oh he's loose but he's not and, and I think one of the things that's actually interesting to me in terms of Helmuth's strategy is that even though he's tight his three bet range is actually weaker than it's supposed to be because he doesn't three bet hands like tens or sevens or right. or like it's it's or super linear. polarized and kind of like weighted towards bottom right yeah. because like it's not like he's frequency like selecting nine five off like he just has like i'm not saying he has 16 combos of nine no five he just off. it's just, a random spat he just has like stuff yeah. that he's just like grabbing yeah and there's only there's only a little bit of top and not just stuff mm -hmm. so it's like you actually just like weight him towards the bottom you right. don't you can't define it right because like it's not it's ratioed just, at all it's right, just it's what's just, his mood right exactly so yeah. like when he's three betting if you could just start deleting tens and and suited broadway hands like he just has nothing yeah. like like i think four bets should actually come in more than they do and that's weird because like we think he's so tight mm -hmm. no it's like, you're 100 right the best response to an overly tight player is to respond aggressively we we like to think that the best response is to trap them right tighten up your ranges play trappier and then catch them whenever they are are going for thin value but the thing is they don't go for thin value right no so they don't bluff they don't go for thin value so what ends up happening is your general top of range that could otherwise be played for value turns into a bluff catcher versus an opponent that's not bluffing all you do is lose value that way all you do is play a small pot whenever you have the best of it and you play a really big pot whenever you have absolute top of range and it's not the best of it any longer if you instead take that linear portion of range that you would otherwise allocate to being your strongest bluff catchers and you just get aggressive with it what ends up happening is you pick up a lot of that money where they're lost in their range construction, right? They're just lost with ace-king and ace-queen because they're not used to being battled back against. They're just lost with hands like jacks because it doesn't flop well post, but they're also not accustomed to facing fours, you know? So, yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that um, this is the... I mean, we talked about it a lot. Like, Phil Helmuth wins because we let him win collectively as a as a group now for what it's worth as i think yeah as a community like we've allowed him to do this for years and nobody is doing anything to stop it because everybody thinks they're smarter than the last guy and know how to beat helmuth or they just like dismiss him as being irrelevant and don't bother adjusting whenever he's in a game uh that said i think daniel played pretty well and i really really loved the tweet uh thread that he put out today basically talking about uh you know how early on in his career he just never lost heads up matches and you know in the last five or six years, whatever, it's kind of come back to um, turn around on him. And some of that is just a byproduct of variance, obviously, right? Like to not lose heads up matches early in your career largely means nothing. But he was almost certainly the superior player because the field was very weak back then. To largely lose your heads up matches now probably doesn't mean anything either, but it's likely that he was the inferior player in a lot of those situations. Uh, you know, when he played Bonomo, when he played Dan Coleman, these guys were heads yeah, up. Yeah, I also just, like, I, I saw, I read an article today by uh, David from Chip Race. Mm -hmm. um, it was, like, a pretty popular article just, like, kind of displaying how, like, the losing streak that Daniel's on. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a little bit unfair, though, because it was, like, 
he kind of just described like he's just lost every heads up battle for the last 10 years and but all of these are tournaments um and describing it as losing like is not fair because at the end of the day like your goal in the tournament is not to win the tournament i think people forget that a lot Mm -hmm. um the goal is to just like maximize ev so in the article it was like oh he like lost all these in fact they didn't say like he lost all these heads up matches he just said they he lost right and it's like yeah he lost but he won a lot of money finishing second right and also like or, or and yeah, it's like he won like 20 million over that span right it's like he didn't lose like taking second in the one drop is huge like that's a huge win like yeah. these are wins you know so it was a little bit unfair but i understand like it was like a little bit clickbaity like oh like look at the losing streak he's on like well, they're also uh, not they're not very friendly with each other so uh it makes sense to kind of frame the article that way whenever you dislike somebody um but i thought like daniel's thread was a little bit more vulnerable than that um i think he was pretty honest you know about the fact that he probably was outmatched a little bit later in his career compared to earlier and that he has worked relatively hard to get back to where he is but you're talking about and i've said this a bunch you know i i know it may have come off his shots but i love daniel i think he's one of the best things that's ever happened to poker and i would consider him to be a friend i hope the the same is extended from his side um but i've constantly said like i would bet on helmuth it's not because i don't think daniel's good at this and it's not even because i think helmuth is that great it's because of the odds right it's just like if if you're laying one and a half to one on somebody in a format where they're only playing 300 hands and you just have to pick the pony that runs runs a little bit faster like yeah, I, I mean, sure. I think Daniel probably the has cards a, just like yeah. don't let that person lose. Like right. Helmuth picked aces like yeah. five times last night, and it was like it's hard to lose when you're picking up aces. Like yeah, and that's a, not to say head. that Daniel won't ever like win, but it's just like I don't think his edge is anywhere close to sixty forty, right? It's like, hard to be one and a half to one, right? right. Like. It's hard to be that big of a favorite in a heads-up match. That's I might, a sitting, not I, even heads-up. Yeah, I legitimately might still take Helmuth at three to two versus like Olivier, and I think Olivier is significantly better suited for this format than Daniel. Like he's played it a bunch. You know, at one point he was world class at, at hyper sit and goes. Yeah. What what were what are what are your thoughts on Olivier's kind of like uh, saying like you should let someone of this mag like. You know, I mean, someone you that know, he sees this format. He sees a spot, right? Like he sees a spot, and good for him for trying to get his way in there. Like that's that's our job as professionals. It's like at some point you kind of have to. Yeah, you, you hate to do it, right? You hate to just turn the spotlight on yourself and say like I'm deserving of this, that, or the other. But at some point, whenever nobody will listen, and they're just constantly plucking the Helmuths and the Negranus and the Esfendiaris and you know. Uh, not to lump Ivy necessarily into that crew because I think he's a little bit more specialized in the rare air than they are. Right. But, you know, still like the, the, the TV personas of old, whenever you're just grabbing them where this isn't their specialized format and uh, we're just seeing them kind of just like swing without much training, it's great product. And I understand why poker goes doing it. Matter of fact, right. I almost disagree with Olivier in the sense that I think it's the best version of this product, unfortunately, right? Like from, from a fan standpoint, this is what the high stakes duel should look like. It's the best version of it. Two people who aren't precision or or, or aren't precise in this particular format, right? You're kind of evening it out, right? You're taking, 
you're taking two centers and making them do a free throw shooting contest or a three point contest instead of a dunk contest, right? So there was there was a um so MJ and Dan Smith have been playing heads up in Ivy's room, yeah, five hundred thousand, yeah, yeah, and they asked to like if people wanted to see this on PokerGo, mm-hmm. right? The community said yes, uh, so they tried, and it seems like there weren't there wasn't availability, right? It's like it's one of I mean I, that's understood to me. Like it's like they probably have a schedule of like when they could use this studio. It's, it's a good problem like, for PokerGo to have whenever they're actually but, able to refute action. Um, and then the comments on MJ's thread mm-hmm. from the community was like, yeah, like, or was it Brett Hanks thread? Like either one, like the exchange was one where the community, like, like the hardcores were like, why the fuck would we want to see Helmuth when there's like 500,000 with two people that actually like are probably good. So, I think it's like a polarizing topic where it's like I think there's like the hardcores that are that want to see like a match of, of of tacticians, and then there's people that want to see like their favorite player. You want to know, you know why the latter wins out? It's because in the former scenario, what should happen as an audience member is just applause no matter what the results are, right? It's just a tip of the cap to two very talented individuals who are good at a format. That's not what mm-hmm. occurs though. That's not how people watch poker. People right. watch poker and they criticize everything, every single little mm-hmm. tiny thing, right? So mm-hmm. if you get two people, uh, like even that hardcore group that you're talking about, some collection of that dismisses both MJ and Dan Smith as being competent at heads up, right? right. There's right. some core competency that's necessary to be a heads up specialist. And MJ and Dan Smith are probably just breaching that territory, right? They probably just right. barely have the the baseline necessary. Yeah, they're not a lifelong heads right. up pro. Right. They're both ring players, uh, and Dan leans more tournament than cash. Um, so it's just like you still don't get the hardcores there, right? You still just get the the echo chamber of criticism depending on which one's your favorite player and who you want to heavily scrutinize more. With yeah. the former, that's <clears throat> baked in. That's why we're doing it. It's a wrestling match, right? You're watching Helmuth and Negreanu for the shit talk. You're watching it because you chose it aside already. And you're watching it because you know the plays are going to be train wrecks by comparison to watching Linus and Barry Sweet. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So or it's just... Watch Linus and Barry Sweet is just going to be too... You might not even be qualified if, to talk about right. anything. And that's, <laughs> that's what's off-putting to the audience. If we put those two in the PokerGo studio and let them play 10,000 hands, nobody would watch. Nobody except for like 150 people who wanted to get better at heads up. That's right. it. Because you're right, it's it's too advanced, right? You can't you can't really see the beauty in it unless you are close enough to be at least able to comprehend. And there's only a hand I mean there's you know 1% of poker players who are talented enough to even comprehend what's going on at the highest levels, let alone execute it, right? There's only 1% yeah. of 1% that are capable of executing it. So we're talking about just like tiny, tiny fractions of uh, a massive audience that this caters to. And it's unfortunately just not good for anybody. Uh, As far as like letting Olivier get in there, it's like, I like Olivier. I think he's good for TV. I think it would be an entertaining match. I think it would be great. But the problem is it's it's a lose-lose. Because if he beats Helmuth down the way that we expect him to, 
All that's going to happen is it's going to shine a massive spotlight on Helmuth's play, critical analysis, yada, yada, yada. And we'll go down that narrative again. If Helmuth gets lucky or even just like has the hotter distribution of cards, now we have to hear the apologist and the the kind of like victim shaming almost of of Olivier losing in his own format to uh, to a lesser qualified player, right? So it's just nobody really wins except for the people who like to be miserable and constantly criticize. But at least in the Helmuth Negranu thing, uh, they're both open to that criticism. There were some comments of letting like us putting on MJ versus Dan Smith. Bring him in. I'll stop streaming for a couple of days. That'd be great. And um, the other thing, you were playing on stream in Texas, right? Yeah. And I, I do agree with what you're saying in terms of people being like tuning in to be critical or tuning in to, I guess, boast their own ego. Because while I was watching, I was watching your stream, the, the one with like you, Lexi, Gavin, and uh, Darren Elias, right? Mm -hmm. And pretty much those were the three pros. Of, maybe I'm missing somebody, but those were the three pros in the game, right? Of course, all you're all three well-established, like long-time pros. Um, although Lexi is probably more of a PLO cash game player than she is a uh, no-limit uh, cash game player. She played a lot of PLO in New York City, like 2550 PLO. That was like mostly her game when she lived around here. And of course, Darren, Darren's a beast, right? Like he's, he's going to do his thing. Um, but all the messages I get are based around Berkey is calling three bets with Ace Seven suited. And, <laughs> like, and I'm like, yeah, you know. Not great, but sure. Like it's not great. We're five hundred big blinds effective. Yeah, they leave that part out, of course. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> like you'd rather me have six seven suited. It's a no brainer, right? And then the other the other thing is like fifty a hundred is not that tough. Like all these people are like, look this, like this is a joke, like whatever. And I'm like, I try to explain nicely to people. That if you walk down to the Bellagio, this this is not the game you're going to see at 50-100. Like, this is not, like, you're going to have seven pros and likely two people that are not pros, right? You're not going to have three pros and five people that are not pros, right? It, it doesn't, that's usually not the ratio. Maury's not going to be sitting with you at Bellagio. Right. Like, like Maury's there because he's, Part of poker go and he's trying to like have fun while he's in texas and like stuff like that like he's trying to splash that and and maybe win but i think people forget like i, I don't know I, i'm not sure where the disconnect is like why don't people understand that tv games are not real games it's not just tv man there's this certain level of hubris that up-and-coming poker players develop so uh there was a conversation i had with a friend in texas where we were at one of the other card houses and I was playing 50, 100 there. And this place is a madhouse, right? Like, it's just insane. And I'm getting these texts saying like, I can't take this anymore. Like, there's no such thing as ranges in this game. I just saw nine, four off, get four bet, yada, yada, yada. And I'm thinking like, right. what's the problem? And mm -hmm. uh, I tweeted out a picture 
of a nine-way all-in pre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A nine-way all-in pre at 1-3. Like, nine good hands have never been dealt out at the same time in the history of poker. Right. <laughs> and, like, they just, they're all just rocketing it off, right? So they get a nine-way all-in pre where it wasn't, like, pre-discussed of, like, we're going to run a cold hand. No, no, no. No, everybody willfully decided to say YOLO pot odds and got it in. Okay. In that thread, a lot of people were sitting there saying like, this is just bingo at this point. Like, I want to play in a game where people are playing real poker. And like, this is, this is bullshit, man. I didn't come to the casino to gamble. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Yeah, where, I, lo where that? Yeah. I love finding equilibrium, but you've been watching too many of his goddamn videos. Like, forget staying balanced. If people are in a casino and are willfully giving it away where nine human beings decide that they're going to put it all in and one of them has kings and it's the best hand, no one even had aces. Nobody is even it, had is, is aces. Is it our fault though? Is, is, it, is it the training community's fault? Because, like, uh, I mean, we're, we're... Just, listen, like at the end of the day, there are two major segregations in this community, right? Just like every other major competitive arena. There is the upper echelon nosebleeds elite that you'll see in all sports, you'll see in chess, you'll see in any mind game, poker, whatever the case may be. And the game is played incredibly different at that level than it is in your general amateur arena, right? Yeah. A baseball game is played far differently when you have two MLB teams competing against one another than it would be at the D3 college level, period. And the D3 college level is going to be a hell of a lot further ahead than you're going to see at a Little League game. Well, yeah. in poker, these things aren't segregated by age and weight and physicality and all these other things, right? It's just a matter of what lineup gets curated together that's going to mm. dictate how the game plays. So, yeah. yes, to some degree, when we're always harping on what is optimal at equilibrium versus a perfect opponent we are kind of pushing a narrative that is just false to reality. The fact of the matter is poker has never been healthier than it is right now. And it's because of games like Texas where there are nine people going all in and range construction just isn't a fucking thing. I say this all the time to students whenever they come and they complain about like being too much action or getting beat down by aggressive players. It's like, you're too goddamn risk averse. If I offered yeah. you $250,000 tomorrow to beat Zenga poker over 100,000 hands, you would find a fucking strategy that did it. Period. Right. Because it's it's not like the game is unbeatable based off the fact that no one cares, right? You care. Yeah. You're incentivized to find a way to win. I'm giving you a quarter million dollars to win over 100,000 hands. You have to win one big blind over 100,000 hands. Develop a strategy. You'll do it. Yeah. You'll do it. I don't care if that strategy is only playing aces over 250,000 hands. Or, or, or sorry, yeah. over 100,000 hands, right? I think that's a lot of what happens, right? Like these games, like the L.A., the Texas, the Floridas, the New Jersey's, like the North Jersey, LA, North Jersey games, especially where I grew up, like it's very multi-way splashy action where it's like normal open sides are not real. Like it, it, you know, the higher you go, the different it is, but like you're, you're playing two five, like people are not opening to $15. People are opening to $25, $30. That's the open mm -hmm. period. Like yep. that's not like, out of normal, like that's a very normal open. And if you don't open to that, you're going to go six ways to the floor, like period, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what happens in these games is people like, 
people don't teach to those games. Like, right. right? Like, we were teaching to those games when we first started, right? We were like, oh, like, this is our life. Like, we, leave, we live in these games. Then the game kind of shifted. And I think maybe that's why people in Texas love us so much, because maybe they found us when we just started. Yeah. Right? You want to know what the two biggest problems that the collective community struggles with right now? And no training is addressing it. I mean, we're trying to lean in as much as we can, but uh, it's just anecdotal. Like, we just have to give our thoughts on what makes most sense from a broad stroke spectrum. The two most complicated scenarios that people find themselves in in these open public games is one, seabedding out of position, and two, playing multi-way pots. Period. Right? And why? Because 100% of the training material is you're in position versus a big blind defense. Or you're out of position in a three-bet pot. Yeah. Right. So either you're out of position as the defender, you're always either out of position as the defender or you're in position as the aggressor. The only time that changes is if like you're the small blind three better. And we we have some study on how that plays. But generally speaking, it's geared towards 100 big blinds where SPR is like five. And it's not that complicated to come up with strategies at that t- at that point. We need to be able to promote strategies to our our, our community that say, this is what you do in an uncapped 1-3 game when you're opening under the gun and you face a button defense and SPR is 30. Right. This is how you construct a check race strategy and a C-bet strategy, especially when that range is capped and wide as fuck and they have certain think- tendencies. You know, it's like you can't take the meta out of live poker, man. It's a really big element. Right. I think the question is going to be just like, well, what computer did you use? to to run that right and it's like you're going to need a really big computer if you're if these are the stacked ups right and like the ranges are very wide because like especially you you're saying like oh you have to open a range that's like symmetrical in all spots or at least very similar in all spots right so you're opening utg with like a wide range or a wider than normal range right well, you don't and have to you're just incentivized to if people aren't adjusting right like i said this on stream today Somebody was like, if you just played tighter, wouldn't you smash this game? It's like, you're just being results-oriented. I've been smashing this game. I happened to have a bad day yesterday. But if we recognize that a player to our left is playing 60% of hands and we are in a position to construct a range, should we then just continue with a, a quote-unquote GTO opening range? Well, first of all, no, because the equilibrium has changed. He's not responding game theory optimally, Right. So yes, if we if we went ahead with that range, we would make money because it's just naturally winning. And it might mm. even be winning slightly more due to the fact that he has too many hands. However, the easiest way to exemplify this is if we are to the left of somebody who's opening 60% under the gun and under the gun one is supposed to three bet, let's say 13.5% versus an under the gun opening range, right? If mm. we know he's opening 60%, are we still only supposed to three bet 13.5%? No, of course not. It'd be fucking insane, right? Right. It would just be clinically insane to let a guy open over half the hands he's dealt in first position and just like look at a hand like King Queen off and muck it. No, that's crazy. It would be it would be nuts. So of course you're gonna expand your ranges. That's absolutely the path to profit. You know, you just don't want to go wider than they're going. You don't you don't if they have seven deuce, you don't want to have seven three, you wanna have seven six, you know, like playable stuff. And I think people take a lot of what you say, like, like one of the things, like, you're, like they take what you say, like, super literally, like, right? Right. like, like they're just like, oh well, you wouldn't three bet them with five seven suited because you have eight people behind. It's like, yeah, 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 we get what, like, yeah, don't be that, don't be that right. person. Like, but like, I'm gonna like, three bet them with Jack ten. 
Right, exactly. Like, just you, you, you want to three-bet them with hands that are going to perform decently well and also, like, a little bit of blockers that, like, won't get you four-bet behind you, you know, like, something like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I, I was... One of my friends told me something like this uh, recently where it was like, okay, let's say you have a player like Phil Hamuth. You know he always throws rock, right? Like 100% rock. And you're like a perfect GTO bot that is just like throwing rock, papers, and scissors randomized at a perfect frequency, right? 33%. It's like, who wins? It's like... You know the answer to that, right? You just break even. Yeah. that That's right. that's the beauty of rock, that's paper, crazy. scissors. Right? That, well, there is no... The, the only, well, the only winning counter... <laughs> The only yeah. winning counter strategy in rock, paper, scissors is an exploitative one. Right. Right. But that's crazy that the person that's just like literally just showing you their strategy, like rock, 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 rock. And the other person's like playing the perfect strat is just breaking even. Mm-hmm. It's like to the brain, that's kind of like befuddling where it's like, wait, this guy's strategy is bad and this guy's strategy is good, but there's nobody's winning. Right. And so it's like, so clearly. It's, it's, it's a lack of capitalization, right? You, yeah. you just have to, uh, you have to re-exploit in those situations. You are incentivized to move off of equilibrium when somebody tips their hand. And that's something yeah. I think people totally forget. It's like, yes, it's very important to understand what equilibrium strategies are. But when somebody divulges to you what their strategy is, right? They write it down on a piece of paper and they say, look, here's my strategy and it's not perfect. You are heavily incentivized to find the counter that maximizes against that strategy even if it leads you open, leaves you open to uh, other counter exploits, right? It just becomes a, game, it becomes a game of cat and mouse of who's moving first. I think we used to talk about that a lot more. Like, it kind of went in fashion and then it kind of left fashion for a little bit. Where we used to talk about being clairvoyant over somebody's strategy. Um, we used to talk that, about that maybe like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, a lot more than we do now. I'm not even sure why. Just kind of left. I, I think know, because maybe. poker kind of froze for a year during pandemic. Yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> Clairvoyance is a lot more difficult when you're online. It's like, oh, wait, we're not really playing every day anymore. <laughs> I haven't seen this person for a year. I don't know if I'm clairvoyant over there. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, just to like wrap up that topic, um, like just tell the people, I guess, like like your plans for these streams and stuff, because like you've had like two days of these streams. It seems like they're going pretty, like, like people are enjoying it. I see the comment section. I see a lot of familiar faces and stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm going to do it Monday through Friday. That's when the game runs. Uh, Saturdays, I'm going to take off. Sundays, I will try to stream uh, WSOP MTTs. Um, I'm going to do it for the next, I guess it's like So you're streaming games. 25, like like the games are like 25, 50, 50, 100 games. So it's 25, 50, but plays much bigger. Uh, it's 25, 50, 10K buy-in. And the money just goes in very, very easily. Like with one pair for 200 blinds. Yeah, I, I mean... You know, it is what it is. Like everybody's kind of out there figuring it out on the fly. It's a really good environment. It's very splashy. Uh, I think that my VPIP is probably second highest in the in the game um, behind the man playing seven deuce. And uh, yeah, a lot of times like it just turns into an eight handed game where we're playing heads up most often. Uh, and then there are other times like yesterday where I'm just kind of the the goat who's getting got. Um, I don't mean that is in. G period O period A period T period. I mean, like I'm the I'm the scapegoat. Um, just a lot of <laughs> a lot of second best hands. You know, just a lot of bluff catchers in spots where you're not facing bluffs, and a lot of coolers. A uh, lot of sets being no good. Things of that nature. 
Um, but you know, it's going to happen. That that is variance in a nutshell. Like what people, I guess, like fail to understand about the chaos of this game is that the more hands that you can play without damaging your bottom line, the more volume you're able to get in against people who are losing. So if somebody's losing X amount of big blinds per hundred, and you're able to play X plus one, or, or sorry, not X plus one, but like Y plus one more hands than your counterpart who's has a comparable win rate, your win rate is just going to slightly go up, right? Yeah. Um, I think this, that's, the, that's the legendary Garrett Adelstein uh, strategy. Yeah. But with that comes a lot more variance because the more hands that you're adding, obviously the weaker your range becomes and the more bluff catchers you have to parse through whenever you arrive at these tougher decision points. So, you know, there's a lot of me calling and losing. And that's just a function of the game. You know, it's it's going to be a, a byproduct of what happens. Um, it's scenarios where, like, I have to train myself into the meta uh, a little bit where it's like, okay, sometimes I have to start overfolding a little bit. Sometimes I have to start overcalling a little bit. It just depends on the player type that you're up against. And that's not a fun thought process to go through. It's not really a fun thought experiment to go to through. But it's one that I'm willing to make because I think that I can outperform what the the straight equilibrium would do in that particular scenario without some sort of vision over field tendencies. Like I think my observation picks up on enough field tendencies where it can skew me one way or the other. And I don't think that I'm like ask you some questions, right? Because like I got a lot of questions while you were playing in these uh in these Texas games, right? Uh and they were they were built around just like strategy. And I was like, I'll tell you what I would do. Um so like the questions came about where it's like, well Let's say because people were like discussing the like how splashy the games were and like and I think a lot of people like you're saying they are very risk averse. So a lot of the questions were like, well, you can't three bet out of position with linear hands because you're gonna get called. And if let's say for example you have like a queen jack suited and it goes like raise call call and you're in the small blind with queen jack suited, like if you three bet, you might you might go call call. And now that's bad. So you might just call like instead of three betting. But I don't think this is the thing for me. I don't think that's entirely true. Like if people are playing too many hands, there are hands that people need to fold pre. Um, so it's like you and if they don't and if they call with too many hands, then Queen Jack, like the value of Queen Jack kind of goes up again. Uh, so how are you approaching these games where it's like it's super splashy and you have these hands that are good three bets in theory or, or or maybe in practice but like you're not getting a full pre like th that's not going to happen yeah of course not uh the thing is is like all, the reason why people are risk averse and don't want to three bet in that scenario is because of the equity threshold necessary to play a big pot so when you have queen jack suited you're going to need more than one pair to play an all-in pot whenever your 400 blinds effective right in theory in a vacuum where people are or have or are constructing with like reasonable ranges but in practice, mm -hmm. any game that you're in where it goes raise, call, call, and you have the opportunity to squeeze queen jack 400 blinds deep, it's going to be pretty effective because the whole reason that it went raise, call, call is because people play preflop trashy. So they have too mm -hmm. many hands and they're very unprotected. Even if they're trapping with hands that dominate you, they still have to play deep SPR spots post with hands that don't connect that well outside of making bluff catchers. So even if they're yeah. calling with hands like ace, queen, ace, jack suited, like whatever, they still have to outflop you and hold on for multiple barrels, right? So largely, this is Not why. Not outflop you, but like hit. 
Yeah, flop yeah. enough equity. Yes, yes, yeah. flop enough equity to continue. So like, largely speaking, this is why you see so many of these wild hands from me specifically is because I understand how the equity threshold shifts when ranges aren't malleable, right? When ranges are just too wide to begin with and then they remain inelastic because people are playing bingo and they're just trying to flop something and then hold on, what ultimately happens is you get to leverage the last bet. And one pair, especially when you have the perception of being a maniac, just goes through the fucking roof. You just get to play like 800 and 1,000 big blind pots with aces because somebody flopped top pair and couldn't ever fold. Like I saw so many 50K pots this week playing 50, 100, where the money went in on the river on a queen high board in a three bet pot. And the three better just had aces. And the, the caller just had like a hand like queen 10. So you don't want to be the passive one with the bluff catcher. You would much rather be the one pressing the action. Within, you don't want to be that fifth caller when it goes raise, call, call, and you have a queen jack suited because you'll never flop enough equity where you can win the pot through aggression. All that will happen is you'll flop enough equity that you can call multiple streets and hope to be good by the time you arrive at showdown. But in that same process, you're allowing many other players to realize their equity in the fullest. If you trust that you're a better post-flop player than everybody else who is literally not thinking beyond the fact of I have X amount of equity or I don't, therefore I call or I don't, then you are just wasting your time. Just fold pre. Get out of the way. What about the, what about the argument, Burke, where it's like, oh, I don't want to blow up the pot because I am better than them post-flop? The, I mean, it doesn't matter, though. It, like, you don't get to press any sort of post-flop edge because no matter what, pressing that edge is bloating the pot, right? <laughs> to be better than them post, you have to find check raises where they won't. That bloats the pot. To be, right, mm -hmm. People who say that they're better than someone else post means that they check raise two pair more often than their opponent. Like, get the fuck out of here. That doesn't make <laughs> you make good. More nuts. Yeah, you make, the, you make the best hand more often and you bet it? Like, congratulations. That does not make you a good post. I think player. what they mean is like, I make a hand post and they don't fold. My opponent sure. don't fold. Sure, but you know what else they mean? I can make a hand post and fold myself because I'm so disciplined. That too, yeah, yeah. And that's asinine. That is just not the proper way of playing poker. We want to shovel money into the pot as often as possible when we have equity, period. You think people are just underrolled for these games? Is that what it is? They're underrolled. They're understudied. They also don't understand multi-way facets uh, of this game and like how the pie divides and how, how much incentive matters when up against a collection of multiple ranges, right? Like the domination factor goes kind of out the window whenever there are multiple actors because so many dominated hands miss and fold. You know, it's kind of a race to showdown in, in that regard. And the yeah. multi-way aspect of it just gives the person with initiative a massive, massive advantage in over-realizing their equity and denying the equity to the collective field. Yeah. They don't need to bet that often and like the collusion effect of all those players like kind of forces people to like underflow and things like yeah. that. Um, so it's like they just win um a lot and then yeah. also if even if original razor checks like people are not going to be stabbing light into the field so right. it's like original razor still gets to over realize equity like, right like what you just, don't necessarily want to do is squeeze in that spot with tens because now you're going to play a four or five way pot with a marginally strong bluff catcher that isn't going to flop that well you know and you can't really and you can't really handle a four bet from the original razor but like queen jack suited you don't give a shit Right. You flop backdoors, right. you flop overs, you flop gut shots, you flop draws, you flop all this stuff, and you're never married to your hand because you have nothing. 
Sometimes it comes queen jack high and you get married to your hand and you're against a lot of equity because there's nine ten and king ten and all these other draws out there. But you just you can just like fast play those spots. I saw an article this week of uh, it was from Jonathan Little. He said like the bank rolls needed to uh, play poker, mm-hmm. and it was people were disagreeing heavily with his assessment. One of them was like a hundred buy-ins for tournaments um i believe cash games he was using like a 20 buying metric do those still exist those were those used to be the numbers right i mean those were numbers back in the day it's pretty aggressive if i use a hundred buy metric like i'm just going like i'm losing like a quarter of my roll on a sunday yeah i mean the thing is is that like i don't know what his assumed win rate is for those calculations to come up with a risk of ruin that's low enough to justify 20 buy-ins for a cash game your win rate just has to be astronomical. You have to be winning like, you know, 40 blinds per hundred, which mm-hmm. is, it's not out of the question. Like winning 10 big blinds per hour in in live cash is pretty pretty on par with like the best player in any one stake level. Um, yeah. But like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You're still probably at like a 15, 20% risk of ruin if you only have 20 buy-ins. And honestly, to win that much, like to have a win rate that high means that you have to be V-pipping more than the field by a pretty large amount. You don't garner an edge that great by only playing like, you know, super tight ranges because nobody's going to pay, right? And you don't have enough hands in those ranges now to suddenly make your bluffs start making money. That's the thing that I think people fail to understand is that our goal think, in poker... I think, I think you're respectively playing with people that are too smart. Like the lower you go, people just pay. Yeah, sure, like, fine, but like that—that still—that still doesn't really allow you to earn ten big blinds per hour because you don't get to you, like if you're only playing select hands, you have to earn so much on your best right, hands to make up for all of the folding that you do and all of the rake that's being taken, right? So a lot of the big neutralizing aspect of playing lower is just the rake in and of itself. It becomes mm-hmm. very difficult to be a thirty dollar an hour winner at one three. It's not saying it's not feasible. It's just not that easy, right? And yeah. I think like what's greatly overlooked, what people don't understand is our main abi- main uh, ambition in poker is for our bluffs to break even. And by them breaking even, our value now increases drastically, right? right? Our bottom line right. massively increases. And the thing is, if our bluffs slightly start to lose, it means our value just goes up even more, right? Because mm-hmm. we're just facing calling stations and now it gives us the ability to shift and make our bluffs actually... Uh, lose less because we just bluff less often, right? Right. So it's one of these games. It's one of these situations where, like, if you're in a calling station environment, you're just going to lose red line because, like, you can't really bluff. Yeah. But or, but the but the your value hands are just bluff. yeah yeah exactly exactly right right and, and we're always playing this game right of like trying to try not trying to balance out which like are our strategy and I think people just like shift too much to one side. Yeah. <sighs> So, okay, so wait, we didn't even answer the question. So, like, what do we think? Do, do we think that that those old metrics are, are good? No, still? I think like, that's super aggressive. I, I mean, I think to be the biggest winner in your game, you have to be extremely volatile. You have to be able to play slightly wider ranges than everybody else. You have to be in there mixing it up. You have to be taking some aggressive theoretical lines post. you got to be doing more check raising than others. All of this stuff requires funding, you know? The vast majority of people are showing up to live environments and they're playing uber passively because people telegraph their hands and they're basically there to hero fold, right? And that's fine against the collective field, 
But the second that a quote unquote alpha sits down and just decides to redline you to death, you're fucked. Your win rate just got cut in half by one single player and there's nothing you can do to adjust because you haven't trained into it. Right. Yeah, it, it's so weird because like me coming from from like playing small to big, like I would have thought like, dude, if I have fucking, if you give me 20 binds at one, two, like I'm never going broke. Mm. Like, it's just like, there's no way I'm going to lose 6K in, in this game. You know, $300 bullets at Bergata. It's like 6K? You know how long it's going to take me? Like, I'm just folding jacks to the three bet from Uncle Uncle Johnny over there. Like mm-hmm. he three bets me out of jacks. Like I just fold. He never bluffs. You yeah. know. So it's like, I think the lower you are in like super non volatile environments where it's like it really doesn't matter. You're playing one two, like one three. Like you probably could get away with being massively underrolled because the volatility in the game is like none. Well, yeah, like, you're right, like, and you're also right in the sense that the strategy incentivizes you to play that way because of rake. Mm-hmm. So you actually are incentivized to fold a bunch and just like three bet right. aggressively. Right. You three bet, you open, but like you don't really, they never You bluff, just don't so defend. Don't, yeah. Yeah. You just, you just never take a passive action. Yeah. And I think that's how I won for a long time. I just like, I never call their bets mm-hmm. and they call my bets. But yeah, sometimes I'm bluffing, sometimes I'm not, but like I'm not calling their, they don't bluff. So I fold. Right. right? And you just like win because you're never calling. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I think as you move up though, and I think we've spoken about this more, like the more you're getting three bet, the more people are bluffing, the more you have to call bluffs, more volatility there is in the game, the more you're going to need a bankroll. Right. And I think that's just cash like tournaments. I I think like maybe we're skewed because live tournaments are like rarer, right? Like you just don't get to realize the volume. Right. But if you're playing online, mm-hmm. you're just firing 10 tournaments a day. Usually just blow through these binds like pretty fast. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure that if we were like on primedope.com or something like looking at these like variance calculators, like in a tournament, like you're probably seeing some nasty downswings. Like, you know, yeah. you, especially if your ROI is not that big. Like, let's say you calculate, I think Ryan LaPlante shows something like if you calculate like a 25% ROI, like you could swing like heavy 150 buy-ins down yeah. like normal it's like it's bad but it's a normal downswing like mm-hmm. it's not something out of the ordinary so you're just like broke and then some like you borrow another 50 buy-ins from your mom like you're just, like you're just like super broke yeah so yeah okay talking about tournaments the venetian has added high rollers the middle of may 10k Two 10Ks and a 25K. May 27th through the 29th. What do we think, man? Venetian? Like, that's a little bit, uh, you know, okay. Like, right next door to the wind. The wind has started running some high rollers. Right next door, now we see Venetian. I think the wind was in conjunction with PokerGo, right? Mm. I could be wrong. I don't think so... I mean, either way, it's the same. It's the same pool, right? You're gonna get the same 18 to 25 players. So I guess if they think they're filling a need, or those players have expressed that they want to play more, um, and they don't have loyalty strictly to Aria or Win, then sure, seems like it'll be. I, I believe now. I could be wrong, but I I am almost certain that this this 10k 25k thing is also in the middle of their like deep stack series. Yeah, but um, nobody traveling for deep stacks 
is playing anything at that level. So it doesn't matter. Right. Like, I, yeah, I don't think yeah, that's... These are very, these are very like, segregated uh, pools. Yeah, they can't right. even really get, like, uh, they can't even really get a mass field 3K. Mm-hmm. Like, people just aren't traveling for that. They're traveling for the 1100s and under. I don't know. It kind of feels like a know-your-lane spot, but, like I said, if, if, if that collective pool wants to continue gambling more, they're not going to say no. How much money do you think is in this 10K, 25K buy-in range? Like, and like, a lot. First, yeah, like, my questions are always this, right? Like, it's the same people, right? It's, you're seeing, it, 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 especially in Vegas, it's like Ali, um, Fox, and um, Sam, wait. Yeah, Soverall. Sam, yeah, Sam Soverall, like, these guys every day, right? How many, okay, so what do you think the edges are for, like, let's let's say, like, the best player in the pool, maybe an Ollie, right? Uh, what do you think, like, an edge, like, for someone like that is? Uh, and, like, how much fun, like, you know, obviously, like, these are theoretical questions that you don't really know, but let's just take a guess. Like, if you had an Ollie on your hands, right? Like, we have, we have landed on, on our, on our roster, right? Yeah. Um, of people that we throw out there and try to fight people with, like, He's like the bishop, right? He's like he's out there, like we're moving him around and like we're trying to take over the world. Um, what do you think the ROIs are for someone like, like a like an Ollie? How much fun do you think someone like that needs? Let's say like before landing, right, trying to break in, and is it worth it in terms of, or or just like have people playing ten twenty Bellagio and playing fifteen hundreds? Like what yeah. what, do you, what do you think is going on here? Um, it's tough to say, man. I, I think it varies by field. I think some of these 25Ks are wildly profitable. Like the one that just ran in Florida, you know, had 140 people. Like Ali's, mm-hmm. Ali's ROI there might be like 30 to 40, maybe even 50%. That seems outrageously high, but it seems possible. Um, in the standard, like 18 man field, maybe like 20, 25%. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know the collective field well enough, and I definitely don't know his game well enough to, to judge. Um, but obviously he's winning. Either. I'm just like kind of, a, yeah. like, I'm making a leap of like, yeah, yeah. obviously he's winning. He's, he's very good, you um, know? But like, yeah, collectively throughout all these buy-ins ranging from like 10 K to 300 K or whatever the case may be, these guys probably need between like two and 3 million a year in buy-ins. There's probably collectively 25 to 50 players in this realm. So we're talking about, I don't know, something in the neighborhood of, I guess we're talking about like 125 million in the liquidity pool per year and some percentage of the field has an ROI, maybe like 33% of the field is winning. Maybe half, maybe half. I mean, it's tough to say, right? Like it can't just be the wrecks that are losing. There have to be some losing regs too, I would assume, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is 66% of the pool is just like winning and gobbling up all the money. It's very viable. Uh, if that's true, then everybody else's ROI goes down. Like the more, the more collective winners there are in the, in the pool at large, the lower yeah, the, the, the available are. Yeah, a lot. yeah, right. yeah, and the less available ROI per person, right? Um, so yeah, I think it's it's difficult to say without knowing that ratio. If if we know that only a third of the field is winning, then it's very feasible that Ali's ROI is like 60 percent. If we think the two thirds of the field is winning, it's probably like half of that, you know. Um, but yeah, they all collectively need a lot of money. The more of these that pop up, the more the liquidity pool gets distributed amongst venues, I guess. 
Um, but mm. the pool itself is so small and niche that I don't really think this is drawing in new blood. Uh, you know, Landon will play some select ones like he did the 25K in Florida, but like they just need to be high value. He, he's going to probably play similar ones that like Shulman plays or I play or Chewy play. Like we just mm. recognize spots where we can have a plus ROI situation where we otherwise aren't studied enough to necessarily go in and bang it out in a a, a daily 15 man, you know? That's not what right, any of us sweets. are studying. Yeah, it's not what any of us are studying into, right? Like we all have our, our our little niche areas and the edges are just too fine there. Like even a guy like Chewy who's studying MTT strat literally every single day and probably does have a positive ROI in like the ARIA 25Ks and things of that nature, how worth it is it? You know, it's like, it's so skinny. The margins are so thin that he would have to either crank out massive volume, which is going to require funding and now take a hit to his bottom line because he's not going to have all of himself. Or mm -hmm. he can just go into arenas where he has a much larger ROI and can bankroll himself and just mash. I think, I secretly think a lot of people are kind of YOLOing in these spots too. Like, yeah, I suspect. It's a great place a if you're on the come up and you're trying to, and you're trying to make a splash fast. It's a great spot. Right, like right. if you ha if if you're like a Jeremiah or a Landon or whatever, where you just have like the availability to say like a million dollars, and you're just like, okay, well, nothing is going to change for me if I woke up tomorrow and I was a broke college kid. So I'm going to bust my ass, study, and just like get in here, and see if I can just win ten million fast. It's a great spot. Like when you're in your 30s and I, you've been I doing this. The sunset. Yeah, yeah, but like you know, when you're in your 30s and you've been doing this for a long time and it's your million. It's uh, it's not quite as good of a spot to just like fire it off. A lot of millionaires now. Mm. Everybody's a millionaire. This mm -hmm. is crazy. We're in a new world. A whole new world. <laughs> they give out all these all these checks in the mail, and now everybody's a millionaire. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about checks in the mail. Elon Musk is supposed to be on Saturday Night Live this weekend. The rumor is that he's going to take Doge to the moon. Mm. I don't know what's happening, man. I haven't put any money into Doge. Me either. But I get so many text messages every day, mostly from some nice models. Yeah, you're people. popular, man. You get a lot of text messages. People are coming to you for answers. I mean... You're the, you're the guru. Look where I'm at, bro. Like, oh, yeah, you're in the Google headquarters basement still, locked up, chained up. Yeah, I'm just here answering messages. Why is why is Bertie Stubby with K9 Spades? I'm like, King I don't know. Oh. oh, King 8 of Spades. Like, send me the link. Send me the link. <laughs> it's like, because that's a range card for me. Like, you just jam that okay. river. So he's supposed to be on Saturday Night Live. If he mentions Dogecoin, this thing might go ballistic. So we just so our, so we just point, we just like buy 100k today. And just see what happens. Just sell it off Monday. This is the chart. This is insane. <laughs> what, are, what are we at? 72 cents? We're at 72 cents? All right. So like, I mean, it's got, it, it can't keep up. All right. So we buy in at 72 cents. We buy 100K worth. And then we just sell it on Monday. Hope it's like a dollar ten. Monday? That shit might be at 10 cents by Monday. Right. We might have to sell it like Sunday morning at 1 a.m. Bro, we're going to have to be on the fucking computer as Elon is talking, bro. Mm. As soon as he's doing the opening monologue, just like ready. Just like, <laughs> this is the craziest shit I've ever seen, bro. Like, We don't know, man. What if he comes out and he goes, Dogecoin is a meme. Sell. It's just, over. Poof. Yeah, it's over. Like he just liquidates his position like, right before the monologue. 
I don't understand this. Like, I feel like we live in a weird world where, first of all, like, if people don't understand Doge, like, and I know people don't understand it because it's like, there's no way they're just like buying in, but they have no idea of like the fundamentals or anything. It's like, there's an infinite supply of Doge, right? An infinite supply of Doge. Like, yeah. it's like XRP. Making, no, it's like worse, man. They're making a million Doge coins a day. Oh, it's like 10,000 yeah. a minute. It's okay. like something ridiculous. Yeah, right? I know so it's XRP like, does like a million a quarter, I think. Right. Doge is just like, it's, it, it's not normal, right? It's like, it, it, it's a joke. It's supposed to be a joke, yeah. right? So there's no way it could keep up this kind of a, of, of a situation. And this isn't financial advice. I don't want anybody to assume you're nothing. Right, right. God but like it can't right. get to $10 because no, it would no, just no, naturally no. inflate. It, it just, you know, it goes through hyperinflation. No, basically. it can't. You're going to need to like, it just can't like it's it's a too 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 much of an it's like uh it's similar to what's that currency was it in not portugal zimbabwe no 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 it was a south american country where it's literally just littering the streets like they just throw their money on the streets because it's so fucking worthless uh venezuela i think yeah yeah it was venezuela yeah Yeah. it's crazy their entire streets are just littered with money littered like they're they're more worthless than the penny so the thing is that what i this is the thing, like, that I'm really noticing, right? Is that we're entering a world where there's a lot of money, right? Just like, like the average household today has like, it's like peak money of yeah. all time. Some of it is because like we're stuck in our house, so we haven't spent money for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part is like we're getting checks in the mail, so like the average household is still going up. And also, we're in an age where like information is like kind of flying. Yeah. And this new well, influencers like, just have a massive impact on markets now, which wasn't yeah, it's like a thing. People to invest now, mm-hmm. because I think like Robinhood and these kind of like they they kind of made it like a game. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like yeah. where it's like oh like like yo let's buy this and like sh- like let's see if we could take it to the moon. Yeah, you know? yeah, and like, yeah. And and it's like oh you got wrecked, and you know like <laughs> it's like and then you like have these like forums like Wall Street bets right where it's like you kind of brag when you when when you do well and then the times you get wrecked you kind of get like it's cool to get wrecked like badge of honor actually, yeah it's like a badge of honor it's like mm-hmm. oh you got wrecked like oh come back again next time mm-hmm. you know and it's like so you're you're putting out these like big bets like but it's a game mm-hmm. so now and then now people are like they form teams you know and it's like oh well if we all get together we could fucking take down these bad guys on wall street you know, and it's like, and then they just like short squeeze GameStop. And it's like, but I don't know, man. Like, I think at some point, like, people are going to get, like, I don't know. Those shit, like, really kind of scares me. Everybody's it's like, a genius in a bull market, right? Like, you can't help but make money right now if you have money. Right. But, like, you know, yeah. you have to, you have to use a little discretion because the other shoe is going to drop. Just like we saw in 2017, altcoins are going to turn to shit coins. And very, very, very quickly. So yeah. hold on to some stables. Hold on to, you know, some of the the currencies that we have faith in. Whatever the case may be, some assets, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm terrified. My house has doubled in value in three years. I'm mortified by that prospect because I just don't think that it's worth what the sticker price is right now. But you know, it allows me some leverage. If I want to take out a second mortgage, suddenly I went from being a couple hundred thousand in positive equity to like a half a million. But so this like, is kind of what happened before, where it's like everyone was happy because they were paper, like paper rich. Right. And yeah. all of a sudden, 
right like collapse everyone got, you just get deleveraged because yeah. like you just get fucking wrecked like the, yeah. everything goes down like you have you get liquidated yeah there's never like, there's never a more critical time to prepare for the future than right now I think people do it the opposite. People get like really conservative in bear markets where it's just like, I don't know where I'm gonna make my next dollar. I gotta cut my spending. I gotta be really conservative. I gotta put some money here and some money there and I gotta create a living will and all this other stuff. Fuck no, like do it now while the money's rolling in, right? Find some stable assets that you can invest into that aren't gonna move all that much if we see some crashes around the around the way. And I should take my own advice because I'm certainly not doing this. <laughs> not to the degree that I should. I have way too right. much fiat for sure. Like for sure, I just have the fact that I have cash at all is way too much cash. Period. I have right. way too much crypto, uh, but I believe in it, so it's really hard to like. I I actually you just want to, yeah. Like I I just want to protect myself by making more fiat so that I can put it into something more stable than crypto, just in case there is a crash. Yeah. And then you know it's like I have resources like the business and the house and stuff like that where it's like it could go one of two ways. Like everything's great now. But like literally, if we saw some sort of like famine, uh, uh, like an economic famine, everything that I currently possess could crash. But that's the nature of markets, right? It's like there mm. is no real safe bet uh, unless you were like able to get in early on an Amazon or an Apple or or oh, maybe yeah. even Tesla. But I, I'm not even so sure that these companies are all bulletproof, right? It's really difficult to forecast the future when it comes to this kind of shit. There are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. And the winners are almost always certain to be the luckier ones. It's not that the losers are dumb. Sure, some of the losers will be the unfortunate ones that either didn't protect themselves when they had the opportunity to do so or made really bad fucking bets, right? Like they just yeah. fired off all their net worth into Doge and it got wrecked as predicted, right? Dude, the dude, the, like it was famous. It was a famous article. Dude fired everything he had. He put everything he had. He had his life saving 150K. It was, like, it was famous on YouTube right now. Mm. Fired it all on Dogecoin. He has like 1.5 million as of like last week. Gosh, now, now probably has more. Cash and out. he was like, and they they had like huge, like multiple major YouTube channels interviewed him. Like, and he was like, I'm not selling. Yeah. And that's you the know? thing. It's just like, bro, yeah. just take 300 for your time. You know, take 20% yeah. for your time. That's it. You, no matter what happens, you will have doubled your initial investment. And that is worth a lot. Like that is one thing that I will say that I've been good enough to do along the way is I took profits. Largely because I needed to, you know, but, but nevertheless, like I'm, I'm, I'm free rolling all of my investments, which is worth a lot, at least from a sound of mind standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, like, I've been hesitant with altcoins. I'm just like, man, I've been here before. Yeah. <laughs> I had here. so many I had to in grind. 2017. Yeah, but it's like, you Bro, know, I had I like know. 500 when it was like 200 bucks. Yeah. I have zero. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, man? I mean, I think we have to be thankful for the things that we do have now because it's like... Oh, God, yeah. I, it's not that I have zero because I just like took cash. I put it all into Bitcoin. So like I still did right, okay. Right. So it's like, it's fine. Yeah, it's um, just easy to have hindsight. Yeah, I think I just wanted to bring it up because like, look, at the end of the day, it's not financial advice or whatever. I just like, I think people should be careful because like one, I was... I was here 2017, 2018, right? Where it was like, it was just like everyone was making money and then everyone was not. Yeah. You know, it was like everyone was like firing hard. I remember being at Aria playing, dude, I was playing like maybe, maybe 510, probably 25, and just like buying Bitcoin, like a whole Bitcoin for like 17K. Like, 
just mm-hmm. like nothing right and then like in two months like it's worth dust and i'm just like grinding and trying to make it back you know and it's like fire what you want but like you know elon's not gonna be there to save you he's gonna he's gonna be chilling with tesla right yeah. <laughs> he, he's gonna be chilling he's with gonna tesla. be fine no matter what that i'm saying yeah like i just i just want people to like you know you can gamble hard but like understand you're gambling you yeah. know like especially with these like coins that like yeah i mean the rug has to get pulled at some point that supply is too high like you know do a little bit of research like figure out like you know what's good what's not whatever um i'm just here of, for the memes get man. out of the u.s dollar i'm just here for the memes the memes are real man the memes are real that's crazy out there but so what's on what's on deck uh for the people to watch if they're not watching your your stream what what what's the release schedule looking like uh, stream Monday through Friday, as well as Sunday. Uh, we're going to be giving away five seats to homeschool. So be sure you tune in for details for that. Um, the giveaways are going to be each Sunday and then the final Wednesday that I stream, which will be the 19th, right before homeschool starts. Uh, giving away five total seats, one, one, and three. Um, we have Matt Hunt's course coming out on Saturday this week. Uh, we have his mastermind the following Saturday. And office hours the Saturday to follow. Homeschool, as I mentioned, does start May 25th. So we got that coming out. Uh, we just put out another uh, course of quick studies. So this is Low Limit Mistakes. That's currently up on solveforwide.io. You can sign up there for free. Uh, just sign up to the free roll package. We also have the To Be Determined documentary coming out at the end of this month. It'll be on the free roll for one month. Uh, before we have to move it behind the paywall. I'll release or disclose more details to that as we get closer. I think that's it. Poker Out Loud every Monday. Uh, new on Second Thought, I think, will be the first Monday in June, if I recall. And, uh, yeah, we're just cranking along, man. There's so much content that it's like, yeah, guys, like, you know, Poker Out Loud is every Monday now. It's like, whatever. It's not even a big deal anymore. Like, yeah, it costs us, like, you know, like 100000 every time we fucking film it. But whatever. It's all Monday every time. Like, no problem. It's, just, it's, just it's, it's like Saturday Night Live, man. You can count on it being there, you know? It only costs us 100K every time we fucking turn on a camera for Poker Out Loud. But yeah, whatever. You know, every Monday, uh, tune in and uh, yeah, have a nice, have a, have a good show, you know? That, that's how it is. That's, that, that, that's where we're at right now. That's how much money is in the system. Not yet for us, but we're getting there. <laughs> All right. So $50 a month. It's free. It's it's literally free. Like I watched some stuff the other day. They have like moving graphics of solvers and like in, in 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 like what's happening right now. Like I didn't see that in upswing. I didn't see that on run once. That's crazy. Fifty bucks, bro. I'm telling you, man. We're gonna have to have a meeting about this soon. Yeah, we are. Anyway, production is gonna start charging us more. That's what I'm trying to say. We're gonna have to we're gonna start this Patreon account. Mm-hmm. I've been saying it for weeks now. Mm-hmm. Patreon, you know. These things are expensive. Look, I'm drinking, I'm drinking dollar fucking iced teas because we're just giving away poker a lot every Monday. We're on a budget. Anyway, I know the Chip Race says they're the best podcast. But like, I don't know, man. I talk to them all the time. They're kind of boring. Like, like you know, they're very like inter- they're like intellectuals. It's like, okay, cool, man. Like, you can't have two intellectuals in one fucking podcast. Like, somebody has to keep it going, you know. And, and you know, David, he tries to keep it going, you know. But like, he's not me, you know. Right. He's not the same. He's like he's European. This is Dominican. It's different style, mm-hmm. you know. Dara and Berkey, they're kind of similar because they're both like athletes that turned into like intellectuals and stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Listen, if me and me and David want to duke it out, we can do it. You know, that's all I'm gonna say. Anyway, 
Let us know, are you in Dogecoin? Do you think Elon is going to uh, say Dogecoin? And if, uh, you know, what do you think about the lumber price? They should bananas, right? Anyway, with that said, 